Hello, my alpaca pals. Have you patted an alpaca recently? That's really hard to say. (laughs) It's really hard. I didn't think this through when I wrote this. (laughs) I'm not going to be able to say it now. Hello, my alpaca (laughs) pals. We're never going to get through this. Hello, my alpaca pals. Have you pet an alpaca recently? Mm, I haven't. (laughs) You can use that, right? Okay. trying (laughs) well luckily i have my dear friend zach here to help relieve the pain of so few alpacas in my life but you know what else might relieve some sadness a fresh new review on the podcast if you haven't reviewed our podcast yet please don't hesitate you can email or message us on social media Anyways, you might remember Zach from season one of this podcast. We chatted about queer travel, and we chatted about crying, and we chatted about how beautiful the planet is, and then how we cry about how beautiful the planet is. Wasn't that fun? It was great. (laughs) (laughs) So now Zach's back, and this time we're talking danger. What makes a destination dangerous? How dangerous is too dangerous? What does it say about you if you travel for the thrill of danger? Let's dig in. Hi, Zach. Welcome back. So how's life been since we last talked into microphones together? Really good. I went to Colombia since I was last on here and it was wonderful. I got to see the mountains and the beach, everything in between. It was magical. I loved it. Best meal you had? Uh, Empanadas in Bogota actually was probably the best it was like a magical moment oh I'm yes. going to Mexico City in two weeks eat everything I cannot wait <laughs> I'm ready for all the food poisoning like nothing's stopping me I'm gonna eat everything I see <laughs> just not peanuts please just no peanuts okay <laughs> Um, So I've noticed that when people talk about travel, they often bring up danger. And by this, I mean, at least in my experience, when I share my next travel destination, I often get or find that people will ask me, but is that safe? Yeah. And when you Google travel destinations, guaranteed lists will pop up of the safest destinations for 2020 or the most dangerous destinations for 2020. Because the reality is that safety is something that every traveler has to consider. And when we leave our home community, we head out to the unknown or to places that have different cultures or societal expectations. And so, yes, it's important to be aware of all the risks when you travel abroad. All right. So let's break this down. So I've divided the concept of danger and travel into sort of like three sections let's say Um, and there's three different ways that we can talk about danger and how it's connected to travel or how it impacts travel so the first one is our perceptions of danger which is also our perceptions of other cultures other people um, and they're largely shaped by the media 
So I think that danger is kind of intangible. We all have differing differing perspectives of what is dangerous. And so I'm going to start with an example. When I went to Myanmar, my parents were so concerned for my safety. Their perception of danger was based entirely off of the media and Myanmar's political tension. And the truth is that their concern was completely valid. The country was literally in the midst of a genocide. But my perception of danger was different from theirs. And I think this is why. First of all, I had been traveling Asia for several months already. So I'd already developed a sense of security in the region. I'd been there for so long that like it didn't feel like a scary, strange place to me anymore. And the second reason was that I wasn't exposed to any negative media. And this is honestly my own fault because I was traveling. I was out of the loop. I wasn't waking up and reading the news like I do here at home. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, I was regularly talking with other travelers who had been to Myanmar and they would just tell me like a broken record. Oh, it's totally safe. I felt totally fine. Everything was okay. Mm -hmm. I didn't see any genocide. Like, obviously, you wouldn't see that, but... You just hear people saying that over and over, and then it just reinforces the idea that, no, it's totally safe. Mm -hmm. And so my overall point is that I think external factors really impact our perception of danger. Yes. What do you think? I agree as well. I can think of many situations where I went traveling somewhere under the assumption that it was safe or exciting. Uh, one of them is Turkey, actually. I went three years ago, uh, about a month before the airport in Istanbul was bombed. And I remember I left on on Mother's Day and I visited my mom on Mother's Day and she was like, be careful. And she's usually pretty chill. And so it made me it made me kind of do a double take. And I was like, is it is it safe? I think it is. I mean, I've done my research. I was going with um, with a PR company for Turkish Airlines. And I mean, they had plugged it as like a really, you know, progressive, cool place to go. So I was like, okay, so that, I mean, that was a big factor, right? Is how it's marketed to the world versus how it actually is. Um, And I mean, unfortunately, a month later, it was all over the news. I mean, hundreds of people were injured. I think 40 something people were killed uh, in the explosion. Uh, And so that's one of them. And another one was I went to Sri Lanka this year, actually. And they've done a lot of work with you know, making it seem like a safe place to go after they had their ethnic tension, I mean, genocide as well. And they finally, you know, they've, they've, I don't know, made themselves seem like they're, they're safe again. So I went and then literally five weeks, almost to the day when I came back were, um, was when the bombings in Colombo happened. And hundreds of people were killed. And again, it was at Easter time, I was home and my mom was like, weren't you just there? And so she's like, stop doing this. So it it kind of reveals travel as kind of like a double-edged sword because it makes you think more critically about danger, but at the same time, it makes you almost more tolerant of it, I think. Have you had the experience, and I feel that I definitely have had this happen to me, that the longer that I've traveled and the more I've pushed my own personal boundaries for what I think is safe, the more lenient I've become. So like, I think that my perception of danger has shifted as I've traveled more Mm. to be more accepting of places that like other people like for example Myanmar felt totally safe to me and it probably wouldn't have maybe like six years earlier depending on where I was and like my journey into travel another thing I was thinking about is like it's interesting how other people talking to you can 
also shape the way you feel about a place because I think back to when I traveled to Costa Rica and booked the trip feeling so confident being like I'm a solo woman traveler I'll be fine totally excited went home to see my family and everyone in my family was like what are you doing this is so dangerous like something's gonna happen to you and then by the time I was on the plane to Costa Rica I was like shaking in fear I was so terrified (laughs) and it was wild how quickly the way I felt about it could be changed Mm -hmm. just from people talking to me. Um, But I think that ultimately my feeling is that it's really difficult to like firmly deem a place safe or unsafe unless we're talking like somewhere like the front lines of ISIS. It's really hard to say like, no, this place is safe or this place isn't safe. And I've mentioned this before. I've seen influencers lately going to Saudi Arabia they feel it's safe. But I personally couldn't go because I would feel unsafe given what I know about the state of human rights in Saudi and the treatment of women in Saudi. So it's really, really fascinating to me how easily, especially media and just like social media campaigns can shift the way that people feel about a place. I totally agree with you. I've mentioned this last time I was on about influencers, especially in Saudi, where they get a different experience. They, They are attracted to these places by the people there who say we're becoming more liberal we don't do this horrible stuff anymore but really they do and so they come home with all these amazing amazing pictures and experiences but that's not what it's really like for the people there and for people who travel there too especially women i mean i'm willing to bet a lot of these influencers are dudes Mm. right well actually interestingly i've noticed a lot of women going oh and i've also noticed that all of them do a little segment in their stories at one point about wearing the uh, scarf and how it's actually empowering. Mm. And it feels very, very manipulated Mm. because I've just watched like several of them do this now. And so it's like clearly part of the campaign and part of the requirements for them when they go there. Mm. But like you said, the other issue is that they're portraying to travelers something that like isn't going to be their experience because Mm. you're not going to have like a group of government tour guides like bringing you from place to place, keeping you safe when you visit Saudi Arabia. Right. And I mean, for me, I pass as a straight white guy when I travel. So my experiences are pretty different compared to other people's. And I think that I'm more likely to be and feel safe in places where other people aren't. And I think that impacts our perceptions of danger too, because if you have people like me, ironically, talking about this, um, you're going you're gonna to have a different idea of it. So that's why it's important to involve other people in this discussion too. Um, people who might not feel safe, it's important to listen to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, my my boyfriend is obviously queer. He's a person of color. We have to be aware of these things when we're traveling. And it's important to listen to him and other people who are, who might be in a situation uh, about what how they feel, what do they feel, uh, and do your research. Like you said, what is this place like for people who aren't like me? Mm -hmm. And that's an interesting point you bring up. I've been thinking about this myself recently. For so long, I was a solo traveler completely on my own. And when I paired up with my partner and we started traveling together all the time, it was really interesting to experience the shift from being a solo woman to having like the proximal benefit of a white man. Mm -hmm. And I could really feel the difference. I legitimately felt safer. Mm -hmm. Suddenly I was like, oh, I'll go there. Because, like, I have him with me. I'll be fine. 
it's really interesting how quickly that feeling changes just by being accompanied by another person who has like more more privilege than yourself um one thing i wanted to ask you is what do you think shapes your perception of danger the most out of like all the various factors that could play into it in general Mm -hmm. um or another way to phrase it would be say it pops into your head oh i want to go to sri lanka oh is it going to be dangerous mm -hmm. what would you do like what would your resource be in general Luckily, I, I mean, both of us live in a place where there's lots of uh, pe people from various backgrounds all over the world. And so my first thing is to always ask someone who might have grown up there, who was born there and ask them what they think uh, and get advice from them on what I should do and what is acceptable there, how to be safe there. I think that uh, asking people you trust is important. Also, just following reliable news stories, statistics, whatever, whatever you can find, um, because not all places are going to tell you the truth. There's a lot of spin out there. So um, trusted sources is usually what I would do. And that's involved in the planning process. It's not like I book a trip and say, okay, now we got to see, like, is it safe? It, it, it's involved in the process. So, you know, somebody may really, really want to go to somewhere in Africa, um, but don't book anything until you know if it's safe. I know that sounds pretty obvious, but we've got, I mean, influencers especially. I'm sure, Aaron, this happens to you all the time. You visit with friends and you're like, I would just have a dream of doing this one day. But do you actually know if it's safe? <laughs> you probably don't because you have this idea in your head of what you've seen it's like. So it's important to, to kind of check yourself a little bit beforehand. Mm -hmm, absolutely. How do you feel about, so most governments will put out um, like rating systems mm -hmm. that tell you mm -hmm. how dangerous mm -hmm. a place is to visit as a tourist. Yeah. So Canada has one. Yep. It's really easy to find. You just Google it. How do you feel about those warnings? Do you, do you turn to that resource before you book a trip? Yeah, I mean, from a practical standpoint, it's good to know. Like if you're going somewhere, I mean, it's travel.gc.ca. It's pretty straightforward. You go there. You, it's got like every country in the world and it gives you a rating. So there's a handful of countries where they say do not go there like Iraq, Somalia, um, Afghanistan, like a lot of places where they're like, do not go. And they specifically say you should not go because we won't be able to help you. We have limited resources there. We may not have a presence at all. There's lots of violence, terrorism, whatever. Um, so that's good to know. That's good stuff to know. So I use it. I use it from that standpoint. Like what are the resources there for me if I go? It can be a little bit misleading, though. For example, when I went to Morocco, I obviously checked the Government of Canada website just to see, you know, about danger levels. And it had the exact same rating as France. Right? <laughs> I've noticed this, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's the same. And so, and it said, you know, ex exercise caution. But almost on the flip side of what we've been saying, you would think, based on what you see in the news, that Morocco, as a, you know, North African nation, might be a little bit more dangerous for people but it's not and so it's valuable for that aspect as well because sometimes it puts your thoughts into perspective but i mean if you look there are places where it says like when i went to colombia this year i looked as well and they said colombia is pretty safe don't go near the venezuelan border because it's actually like off limits in lockdown super dangerous which is great to know but as a queer person traveling my boyfriend was with me uh, they had no resources for how to travel safely as a queer person. They have a good women's guide for travel. But oh, yeah. yeah, but for people of color, for queer people, trans people, uh, disabled people, they don't have anything. So 
exercise with caution. We should Use be it, tweeting about this. Yeah. That's a major fail mm-hmm. on the government's part. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the next angle I wanted to talk about when it comes to danger is political. Um, So we talk a lot on this podcast about doing your research, and this includes knowing what is up politically around the world. So to circle back to the Myanmar example, in retrospect, I feel that I was being very naive in going there. I was not properly aware of political tension, of crimes being committed against the ethnic minorities of the country. And I feel a little uncomfortable with that now, in retrospect. I worry that I might have supported a government that is behaving in a way that I don't agree with or condone. I worry that money I spent there may have supported this government directly. Um, Yeah, in retrospect, I think like if someone was to ask me again, would you go to Myanmar? I would say no. But I must say, like, that was really a learning example for me and a turning point where afterwards I ended up in a job where much of my job was researching human rights abuses Mm -hmm. around the world. And that's when it really clicked. And Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, I should not have gone there. Mm -hmm. Do you have anything to say about this? Yes, yes, of course (laughs) I do. Um, I mean, I'm going to use Turkey as an example again. Every year, the Pride Parade in Istanbul tries to get shut down. They you know, there's rubber bullets, there's police, they try to stop any type of celebration from happening. If I would have known that beforehand, I mean, I was quite shocked when I went there because I went to lots of places, Hagia Sophia, Topkapi, like all of these places, and there were no lines because nobody was going because they were scared. There had been a car bomb that went off a few weeks earlier. There was a huge explosion at the airport a couple of weeks later. I'm sitting here now thinking, why didn't I why didn't I do my research more? I, it actually was dangerous. So, and that factors into what I think now, right? Like, I mean, I can't take it back. I can't take back what I've done, but, um, or where I've traveled, but that is something that I think about all the time. Do you think that um, your average person should be doing more to, like, do you think that we should really be integrating this as part of our process when we're thinking about travel? Yes. That, like, your average person should make a point to always do their research yes. in terms of, like, political situations yeah. in countries? We're probably going to talk about this later, but I believe that travel can change people, but it can change the world, too. And the only way that you're going to, you know, impact yourself and the world the most is by doing research. You have to know what you're doing, and it is a mindful thing. And there's also, I mean, we're going to be talking about this in depth in an Mm -hmm. upcoming episode about extreme travel, but there's also this angle where people, it seems like going to countries that are in turmoil Mm -hmm. because it gives them adrenaline. Like they feel excited about the fact that they've gone somewhere that is dangerous. Yeah, like bragging rights almost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that this is highly problematic because it has literally zero positive impact for the local community. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another element of this sort of political angle is identity-based danger. So we've touched on this a little bit, Mm -hmm. but at least for me, like as a solo woman traveler especially, one of the first things I would always Google when I was thinking about danger and travel was, okay, what are other women saying mm-hmm. about traveling mm-hmm. here? So I distinctly remember like specifically before Costa Rica, before Morocco, yeah. before Turkey, because I was there alone as well, doing extensive research to see 
not like what government sites were saying, but I find it really telling to see what women are saying. Yes. Specifically on like solo women travel blogs, they can be very insightful. But I also find it interesting because a lot of time there's tension because someone, some women will feel completely different than others about like how safe it was. And that boils down to perception again. When I remember Bella talking last season, she one of the things that, that stuck out most was she said, I don't want a ring around my finger to make me safer, which ideologically is probably, I mean, I like that, but does it make you safer? It's such a tough discussion. It's a, t- it's tension. Yeah. Like you said, my argument is that it doesn't. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and I think that discussion with Bella was really eye opening because she felt differently than I did, which mm-hmm. is okay and totally normal. And I think like in a way that makes it really hard to make judgment based on what other people say, even if they've been there on their own. It's super um, complicated. I mean, if you look at, if you go, for example, I mean, I'm sure we've all been to the States at some point. Yeah. Mo- I mean, I would say many Canadians have, many people around the world have. And on the government of Canada website, it says, fine, go. It's safe. All you need is a passport. There's consular offices everywhere. Uh, but what they don't tell you is that, especially in the South, trans women of color are getting murdered at record rates. And that's not there. So you have to you have to talk to people who might have either lived that experience or who have knowledge of it. So is this something that you do when you travel? Like, do you research Absolutely. safety for queer people? Yeah, you have to. I don't think that there's a, I don't think it's a question. You have to, because you could be putting yourself at risk and you could be putting local people at risk too. If you're, if you're too showy about it, or if you're in spaces that are considered safe, but still under the radar, like you really do. I mentioned this last time. I mean, I went to Athens, which is a pretty conservative city. They don't really have like any, you know, specifically gay or trans or queer districts, but they do have kind of like, you know, you know, back from the street behind trees, like there's some bars and stuff you can go to that are friendly, but you can't just show up and wave a rainbow flag. You know what I mean? You got to be careful with that type of stuff. And, and I think that if you know you're traveling as a queer traveler or a person of color or a woman, you owe it to yourself and the people who you're going to visit or you're going to be around to know your stuff because Mm -hmm. it could present danger for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it can also be a political statement in many ways. Like like I was saying about Saudi Arabia, I don't feel that I could ever go there because I just don't agree mm-hmm. with the way that women are treated mm-hmm. in that country. And that is a political statement. It shouldn't be. Like, I shouldn't even have to argue this, but the reality is that that is the case at the time. And so totally. I personally have a real problem with influencers who forego that just for a press trip. Amen. Me too. Okay, so now let's talk about another angle, which is the danger that we impose on local communities just being present there. So it's one thing to consider how traveling to another country might put you yourself at risk, but it's also worth thinking about how a tourist presence can impact a local community and sometimes pose a risk to their safety and their stability. So a concrete example of this are the Sherpas that guide climbers to the summit of Everest. So one third of deaths on Everest are Sherpas. 
Um, well, this is, of course, because they spend more time on the mountain and therefore are more exposed to the dangers. The reality is that they're subjecting themselves to this danger because of the tourism industry. Um, so according to NPR.org, Sherpas earn up to 10000 USD a year by guiding climbers up Everest. So in the context of Nepal, this is 10 times what an average Nepali makes. So Sherpas are risking their life because they need the income and because it really pays in the context of like their financial situation in Nepal. I know you had a couple things to say about Sherpas as well. Yeah, I did. Uh, well, it's important to acknowledge that they're an ethnic group as well. They're not just yeah. guides. They're a whole ethnic group native to the Himalayas. So um when we talk about them, it's not just individuals, it's a whole thriving group of, of people. And I mean, when you do the research, I mean, I was, what was I reading national geographic the other day? Um, there was a, um, a guy from New Zealand, his name was Edmund Hillary and he climbed Everest in the fifties and he got to the top and he had one of the Sherpa people with him to help him. And as a result of him scaling to the top, he got knighted. It was a big celebration. And the person who brought him there got this like little medallion of acknowledgement, which is which is stupid and dumb. Like that just makes me angry because he wouldn't have made it to the top without this person. Um, and I think it's important to consider like, do these people who are bringing these people up mountains, do they want to do it? If they do, cool. It's their choice, obviously. But you have to think of instances. I mean, there's instances. I mean, if you look in various reports or stories or journals where, where you know, people, the, the Sherpa people who bring them up to the, to the mountain, they're not insured. They don't get insured. Um, they're tasked with carrying more than the legal limit of luggage. Some of them have been abandoned because there has been bad weather and i think that that like that obviously is endangering them which is another aspect of researching things right you're obviously putting these people in danger but how can you help give back that's an important aspect because in reality i mean flying can be dangerous are we putting the flight attendants in danger when we're flying yeah, but they're also choosing to do it right so and this is yeah but sherpas like that like they're the likelihood of death is so much higher. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not. I'm not saying that, but the idea is that they do. They do have a choice, and I think that the choice for them would be easier if they it was ensured that they were treated better. Right. For sure, and if there was a benefit to their community as well. So I think that's an important aspect of danger to the local community. How can you, by doing something like adventure travel, positively impact the community around it? So then there's like other ways that travel impacts local communities, which um, includes mass tourism. So we've done an episode on this as well. We talked about the impact of cruise ships and over tourism on the previous season of this podcast. Um, So yeah, mass tourism causes extreme danger to local environments. So for example, in Thailand, Maya Bay was shut down for several months because over tourism was posing a risk to the island ecologically. Mm -hmm. And then a, a well-known example is uh, Machu Picchu in Peru. It's become so popular that the high volume of tourists has taken its toll on the environment. And so erosion is now occurring within the Inca Trail. Um, and litter is a huge problem. And the way they've responded to this now is by only selling a certain amount of passes per year. So it's like very interesting to see how, as a tourism industry, a country will like 
grasp something as like, okay, this is good. It's like feeding our economy. It's bringing people here. It's proving to the rest of the world that like we are a safe country. And then like it goes into overdrive and then they have to scale it back with all these like systems that are put in place to control it. It's really quite interesting how like a tourism boom seems amazing at first and then like it's only later that you realize the danger that it's imposing not only like ecologically but on local communities mm-hmm. for sure i mean we can also we can <laughs> you look like you're gonna say more so i was like hmm, yes go on we can also talk about boycotting as well because there is there is in many ways danger associated with boycotting certain experiences or destinations altogether. Um, there's a really good uh, example of, in my, I mean, for me, I research this all the time, but for more homophobic and transphobic destinations in the Caribbean, um, a lot of people will say, I will never go to Jamaica or, or somewhere else like that. And there's a really um, amazing human rights lawyer. His name's Maurice Tomlinson. And he's Jamaican. And he talks about how when you boycott something, it can act for a certain reason. So if you boycott Jamaica, for example, because it's so homophobic, are you actually helping the situation? And he he wrote a really great article for 76 Crimes. And he said, among many things, he said, if you boycott Jamaica, which is largely reliant on tourism dollars from the global north, if you boycott your travel because it's homophobic, you could actually be making it worse for local queer people because they will be blamed for it. Many of them as well, because um, they're so marginalized, they get their money, they earn their money from the tourism industry. So you would be taking that away from them as well. So sometimes not going somewhere is dangerous for people if you were going to go there. And there's other ways you can think about it. So um, uh, Maurice also talks about how if you go somewhere, you can talk to the locals about, uh, he says this in an article, you can, you can talk to locals about inclusivity and how it's not as harmful as maybe they might think it is. Um, you can, when you're going there, reach out to local LGBTQ organizations and maybe pay them a visit, maybe donate to them. Uh, if, if they're selling things, try to make an effort to buy their goods or their services just so that you're supporting the good stuff. So that's another aspect of this too. It's not just the act of doing something that can be harmful, but the act of not doing something can as well. Yeah. And that's a really good point you bring up that I can connect back to something I said earlier Mm -hmm. about Saudi Arabia, Mm -hmm. because I think that a lot of people would argue with me on that point and say, okay, well, you've been to other countries that don't treat women well, which Mm -hmm. is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. But when I think about times that I've done that, for example, I traveled in India for two months. India is not a great environment for women. Um, quite oppressive, but I did work there to make sure that I was supporting women whenever I could. So for example, I visited an organization that gives jobs to women who are uh, survivors of acid attacks. Mm -hmm. And that was just one of the small organizations that you can visit while you travel Mm -hmm. through India. Um, And so I think you're absolutely right. Like boycotting isn't always the answer. Sometimes it's actually better to just go there and it exposes people there to difference, which is sometimes a good thing. And something I think we're spoiled by here in Canada Mm -hmm. because we've grown up in such a multicultural place. Mm -hmm. Um, I've noticed this, like when I travel, I often miss the multiculturalism of the city. And so we're really spoiled 
having grown up that way because mm-hmm. we've been exposed to so much difference. And sometimes I think maybe maybe just by like going to India and wearing my hair down and wearing pants, um, people see that and think, okay, maybe there is a different way you can live and that's okay. I think it's okay too. It's okay to say, if I would have known this earlier, I wouldn't have done that. For example, I think it's okay for me to say, I should have done more research before I went somewhere. And maybe I shouldn't have done it that way. It's okay to do that. And I think that in the age, I mean, we've talked about this already, the age of where you put everything on Instagram and you want to look like you're having a good time. uh, It's okay to say, I should have thought more about this because that's the only way it's going to change is if people admit it, Mm -hmm. that they, maybe they made a bad decision. I wish some of these influencers would say, okay, yeah, I went to, I went to Saudi and had this experience. I wish I didn't. Yeah. I really wish I didn't. Yeah. I think that that would be amazing, an amazing thing to see just in like our friend groups, like when people are traveling and I do try to do that myself, like post a sort of like this is a legitimate update. Like, this is really what's been happening today. I actually did a piece um, a couple years ago for Pressed Magazine, and it was called Confessions of a Travel Grammar. Mm -hmm. And it was when I was not really an influencer, but I had a large following on Instagram, um, mostly because of my travels. Mm -hmm. And I did sort of a side-by-side where I would show the image and the caption, the date I had posted it. Mm -hmm. But then in the right column, I shared what had actually happened that day that I posted that photo. I had the one, I remember seeing the one of you in the desert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And people really responded to mm-hmm. it. And I think it's because it, it just points to how Instagram really is just a highlight reel. And we never really say what's happening in the background. And that does a really good job of shaping people's perception about like what travel is, what a country is like, what kinds of experiences you should or will have mm-hmm. in a country. It's not real. It's not real. It's not real. And it's okay. It's okay to say that. We want people to think it's real. Yeah. But we, it, it's okay to say that because, I, I mean, at the end of the day, it is, it comes down to how, how dangerous is it? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, it, for real though, like, is, it, you know, I, I saw on Instagram because I follow a bunch of hashtags, travel hashtags on Instagram. And yeah. I, I see posts of people doing stupid things. Yeah. That's not real. Yeah. You know, and it I don't know, it's it's um it's frustrating because I mean, some people will just never admit it. Yeah. They shouldn't have done that. Yeah, so to back it up, I guess the three ways we've been talking about danger are the perceptions of danger that we have that are built up by media impact. And actually one thing we didn't talk about here was and I think this is a really like pervasive side to this to this angle and that's the concept of the other which is actually like a colonial term but I find it kind of works here because I think that's what a lot of people are afraid of when they're traveling Um, one like prime example is the Middle East people perceive people in the Middle East as the other and then their fear is completely irrational it's built by these like stereotypes that they're being fed through the media when in reality like there's no truth to it in most cases and I find like a lot of time that's what drives people's fear when it comes to travel it's like oh I don't know what these people are like or they have like stereotypes in their minds that have been constructed that deter them from ever wanting to visit a place and I don't know about you but in my experience like most of these stereotypes have been completely wrong 
in yeah. like most of my travels. Yeah, I think I think regular people across the world are similar on a lot of levels. Mm-hmm. And you can find that similarity. Yeah, absolutely. It exists everywhere. And I think that people mistake like you might stereotypically see, okay, I'll throw a random example out. You might see Italians as being like very expressive and that's true, but all it is is a difference in communication. Mm-hmm. It's not like being Italian, it's just a communication style and once you figure that out, like you can communicate with them in the same way you would with anyone at home. And this is what I've learned about like these stereotypes when you're traveling. A lot of the time it's just about like shifting your communication method or acknowledging that someone else like, okay, they communicate in a different way and that's fine. Mm-hmm. I just need to like figure it out so that I can work with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we talked about perceptions of danger through the media, uh, political danger and danger imposed on local communities. So I think this has been an interesting convo because we've really broken down like how faceted the concept of danger is when mm-hmm. we travel. Do you have any examples of times that you did feel like you were in danger while traveling? Um, <laughs> I mean, the one that I can think of is when, and this is, uh, it's funny now, but at the time I was going, I, I was, my life was flashing before me. We, I was in Croatia and we were taking a boat along the Dalmatian Islands and it was like this touristy wooden boat. And we were with a group of journalists. And so we went to all these beautiful, beautiful islands. And it was a beautiful day. And then all of a sudden, our tour guides were like, we got to go. Get on the boat. And I was, we're like, okay, let's go. And it, was, it started to monsoon. And I, th- I literally thought that the boat was going to topple over. Like the mast was almost parallel with the water. It was so scary. And... I don't know, like, I obviously didn't do my research until I hate boats. So, like, I, <laughs> I shouldn't have done it, but I, ha- I didn't really have a choice. But, I mean, that that's the most danger I think I've ever been in. And I think that was just because I trusted people. To make a choice to, for to you, basically. To make a choice for me, yeah. And I think if a lot of us said, let's wait on this island <laughs> before or, or, or till after this, whatever it is, blows over, maybe we should. But that was... That was it. I mean, if I think, you know, socially, like out, out in, I don't know, in a community somewhere out in the world, I don't think I've ever really felt in danger. Yeah, I yeah. don't think I have either. No, I've never felt like, and, and that, I mean, that is speaking to, I think my privilege as a big white guy. Yeah. But I also think it speaks to my, my ability to do research too I don't put myself I try to not put myself in those situations either totally so tell me another time that you were scared when you were traveling well this is related this, to this, this is, is just turning into me being like Zach tell me times you were scared yeah. <laughs> but gladly um this is related to another point actually which is you know the threat of the global climate crisis I felt in danger I was in New York City when Hurricane Sandy hit And we took it as a joke because when you, I mean, this is related to the media. The the (laughs) Weather Channel was just, you know, nonstop talking about this hurricane headed towards, you know, the eastern seaboard somewhere. And we had booked this trip months ago and we're like, we're going to go. It's just going to rain. We're Canadian. It's fine. (laughs) So we landed in New York, hung out for the day. It was beautiful, beautiful fall day. And then all of a sudden, Twitter started 
lighting up with like, oh, the New York subway shutting down early tonight because a hurricane's going to hit tomorrow morning. All of this, all of this news, right? And so we're like, okay, whatever. So we went back to our hotel room, stocked up on just wine and like dry noodles because we thought it was just going to be a rainy day. But it was legit a hurricane. And I even took it as a joke until me and my friend decided to go outside and actually felt the strength of hurricane force wind. It's terrifying. It's utterly terrifying. Lower Manhattan was totally underwater. Electrical transformers were blowing up all around us. Trees were down everywhere. There was no hydro. There was nothing. We had nothing. We had no phone service, no power, no plumbing. We were on the 10th floor of a hotel. We had nothing. And so we didn't know when we were going to get out of there. And I mind you, it's in New York. So like, you know, we're, we had a relative level of comfort, but that was scary too. And that's becoming a thing now is the unpredictability of the environment. Mm-hmm. What can you expect to experience when you travel to certain areas of the world now? Typhoons are commonplace in the Pacific now. Yeah. So that's another thing. It's a, a huge thing to consider. And yeah, how, you're, so how you impact that. And it's easy to overlook that too. Mm-hmm. Especially like you said, like being Canadians, we think that we're all rugged and used to difficult yeah. weather. But it's like, sure, maybe we are, but we're used to one specific type. Uh-huh. Like we know how to deal with snow. That doesn't mean we know how to deal with wind. I mean, I'm thinking of going to the Philippines next year. I'm literally going to have to research that now and my impact on the environment as I do that. Um, okay, let's finish up with some light things. Tell us a funny story. Uh, like a funny story of traveling? Yeah. Um, there was this one time when I, I, <laughs> I this knew thought you of, would just have this, one. <laughs> this, um, this is related to danger, but it was like totally fake danger. But we were flying back. Uh, me and some friends were flying back from Cuba, I think. And we were on a plane. And like, you know, you're like depressed when you're flying back. <laughs> and we st- spent some time at a resort. So like we were a little bit heavier than when we left and like you know what you know that feeling where like you're like okay i'm ready to go home but i'm not so we're on the plane and we're hover. it's we are looking down we were over toronto somewhere and we just saw snow everywhere like uh and then all of a sudden the plane went dead quiet the (gasps) vibration stopped we couldn't hear anything and it was just complete silence and and me and my friends were literally holding on to each other for dear life because we thought we thought that the plane had just died in midair. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out it was fine. So I, I wasn't actually in danger, but uh, I, I wanted to like c- cry a little. <laughs> <laughs> You've just spurred a memory for me of like total irrational danger. This is a whole other story like irrational danger when we convince ourselves of a danger that's just not real um (laughs) lucas and i both got scratched by a kitten in india and we subsequently convinced ourselves that we both were gonna die of rabies did i not respond to that insta story saying don't touch them yeah you did did. (laughs) well we told you so yeah Yeah. Anyways, like we shouldn't joke about this, though, because rabies is real. And seriously, people, if you travel and you touch an animal and it bites you or scratches you, go get the rabies vaccine. Get all the vaccines you need to travel, as a matter of fact. Yes. Yes. PSA. Yeah, PSA. Public health announcement. (laughs) And travel insurance. Always get travel insurance. (laughs) You're such a (laughs) (laughs) do-gooder. Okay, how to avoid danger, guys. Always get travel insurance. Always do your research. Get your vaccinations. Get your vaccinations. Don't pet strange animals. 
Don't pet animals. Be aware of the influence you have. Yes. And the impact you have. Exactly. Beautiful. Well, thanks, Zach. This was really fun. It was. Thanks for having me again. It was lovely. And now everyone can hear your voice in like full new mic glory. It's amazing. Yes. (laughs) This turns into an ASMR (laughs) podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Well, this podcast is produced by Katie Laura and written and hosted by me, Aaron Hines. Alpaca pals, don't be shy. We want to hear from you. Tell us your thoughts, your feelings. Send us a rant about something that pissed you off or something that made you happy. To do this, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at at alpacamybagspod. You can also join our Facebook group, Alpaca Your Bags, or email us at hello at alpacamybags.ca. And if you dig us, please review the podcast and remember to subscribe while you're at it. Tune in every other Wednesday for more episodes, and I hope you all get to alpaca your bags soon. Until next time, say bye, Anne. Say bye. Mm-mm.